here at Calvary Chapel, we like to study verse by verse and chapter by chapter through whole books of the Bible. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. Our topic is Peter's denials of Christ. The title of our message, I've fallen and I can get up. Here's what the text says. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. Let's pray together. Lord, we uh, thank you for this word in advance. We pause for prayer, Lord, because we want to acknowledge that we have no idea how to proceed with it unless you are here to lead and guide us, unless your Holy Spirit uh, teaches us what's here for us spiritually. And we might be able to understand the details and, and uh, some of the geography and the surface things about it, but we, we can't know what you want to say to us about it. It's more than just a unique episode in the life of one of your disciples. It's something deeper. It's something richer. It's something fuller. As we would, in a sense, uh, see ourselves in the story in an applicable way. Only you can do that. But we're thankful that you can. We're uh, grateful that you will. And so I pray that these words would become rich in our hearing, full in our hearts, that they would draw us closer to an understanding of your love for us, of your grace sufficient for us, of your mercy that's new every morning for us, and that we would leave this place changed to be a little bit more like Jesus than we were when we came in. We thank you and praise you this morning in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. On July 19th of 1991, 12-year-old Boy Scout, Jared Michael Negretti, he was on his first overnight backpacking trip. Jared, along with five other scouts and an adult scout leader, were hiking to the 11,502-foot summit of Southern California's tallest peak, San Gorgonio Mountain. Jared fell behind his fellow scouts on the trail. The scout leader must have figured that the rest of the group would reach the summit and then pick up Jared on their way back down the trail to camp. They never saw him again. Even after an extensive search and rescue operation, Jared was lost. The Christian life is sometimes compared to a long walk with Jesus, sometimes to a long distance race. It's not going too far to compare it to a climb to the summit of a mountain. In any case, you don't want to fall behind and lose sight of Jesus and become lost in some wilderness. Falling behind is central to the verses we're about to discuss. The very first thing you read about Peter is that he followed from a distance. 
He lost sight of Jesus until after he had denied the Lord three times and the Lord turned and looked at him. These verses speak first as a warning to those of us who have not yet lost sight of the Lord in our walk or our race or our climb. And then they speak to any of us when we have lost sight of Jesus in our walk or our race or our climb. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, if you follow at a distance, you will lose sight of Jesus. And number two, if you've been following at a distance, you should look straightway at Jesus. Let's take a look first of all in verses 54 through 60. If you follow at a distance, you will lose sight of Jesus. About 15 years ago, we had an overnight men's retreat camping up at Mineral King. It was mid to late September. How many of you remember that? Anybody here that was on that trip? We had a couple from first service. The three of us decided, uh, three of us rather, on that trip decided we were going to hike up to one of the lakes and do some fishing. How many of you have been up to Mineral King and know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's, it's, it's way up there. It, it, you know, just... It, how was it like a four hour car four or five hours of like this you know and stuff cars coming at you you get up there there's nothing up there but wilderness and so we're up there and we get it through our heads that we're going to hike up to this lake and do some fishing about an hour into what turned out to be a three hour hike one of us not me had gotten so far ahead on the trail that we lost sight of him now, I contemplated stopping and turning around. I had lost all desire to fish at that point, to see a lake, to even be there. Uh, but this young man, he was a, a young teenage boy. Uh, he had gotten so far ahead of us, he wasn't responding to our yelling at him or anything like that. And I, I honestly would have turned back, except that I saw his mother and I thought, I don't want to have to explain to her that we left him in the wilderness and he's dead. Uh, and, and so I, we pressed on and, and finally we got to the lake, beautiful up there, you know, in the wilderness and all we got to this lake and I thought, okay, thank you, Lord. You know, and just immediately upon putting our line in the water, it began to snow. Now I had lost the trail on the way up there. Uh, and, and those of you who've been up there, you know, the trail is about three inches wide in some places. You know, it's just one foot in front of the other. And I don't need to tell you that I'm not really an experienced hiker, do I? I? I mean, you know, we didn't even have the right clothing on to be up at that elevation, let alone one of those emergency tents or something, you know, that you see in Lassie come home or whatever. But and so so, I mean, we just I said, hey, I don't care about you guys now. I've, I've been here with you. I'm leaving. And everybody thought better of it. And we all. I never ran so fast, so far downhill in my whole life. Got back to camp, caught our breath, acted like it was no big deal. But I was scared to death up there. Uh, I might have even cried, but I can't remember at this point. I thought, this is it. We're going to be lost in the wilderness. Uh, you know, all because this kid just wouldn't stay with us. But uh, I've since forgiven him uh, we nicknamed him John Mark after that, and it's kind of a biblical reference. You know, Paul didn't want to be with John Mark. and Maybe I haven't forgiven him. Maybe this is a cathartic moment. I don't know. But Now, as we dig into our verses, I want you to note Luke's emphasis, the emphasis on falling behind, because I think it's the spiritual key here. Verse 54, having arrested him, they led him, that is Jesus, and brought him into the high priest's house. Peter followed at a distance. Peter loved Jesus. 
He had left everything to follow Jesus. There was no doubt about his devotion to the Lord. He had become one of the inner circle along with James and John. When he had earlier that evening exclaimed, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. He meant every word of it from his heart of hearts. It was remarkable that he followed after Jesus at all after the arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. When a revolutionary leader was captured, his followers were in mortal danger. And so it was dangerous for uh, Peter to follow at all. But for all the help that he wanted to be to Jesus, Peter ended up denying him. He fell behind spiritually. That's the suggestion. We've already seen two reasons Peter fell behind in our previous studies. I don't mean to keep going over old ground, but they are too important to forget. First and maybe foremost, Peter fell into a spiritual fatigue because of prayerlessness. In verses 39 through 46, Jesus told him and the others to pray. Instead, Peter slept. The moment prayer loses its priority, I have slackened my pace in my walk or my run or my climb, and I have begun to fall behind. I may not sense it. I, I don't immediately understand it. I can still, in a sense, if, if, if I was on a real walk with Jesus, I could still see him. But if I, if I move away from prayer, if prayer loses its priority, then I begin to fall behind immediately. It's like trying to climb a mountain without enough oxygen, as it were. And so I'm falling back. And you know, the Lord, uh, because probably we're in this section, which emphasizes it, but just in general, the Lord, I think, has been encouraging us week after week after week here to just... Uh, go to prayer, to be in prayer, to rekindle our desire to just spend time with the Lord. And I would, uh, first of all, in my own life, I need to heed that. I need to take a look at that. It needs to become more than just something I'm talking about and, and studying. It needs to become real. And I would exhort each and every one of us to look at that and say, how can I pray more publicly? How can I pray more privately? This is what the Lord is doing. Second, we saw in verses 47 through 53 that Peter was in the flesh. Now, that, that term always, you have to admit, it sounds kind of funny. We understand it as Christians. We talk about in the flesh or walking in the flesh. But to unbelievers, it always sounds like some kind of a horror movie. Night of the Living Flesh Eaters or something. You know, it's like, what do you mean in the flesh? Oh, my gosh, the flesh is coming. Well, let me explain. The Bible uses the word flesh to describe our natural physical impulses, our drives and our appetites, which need to be brought into submission and under the control of the Holy Spirit. If they are not controlled, they have a tendency to become dominating. You can read in Galatians chapter five, Paul, the apostle talks about the works of the flesh. And he makes a list of terrible, horrible things, murders, envy, strifes, divisions and all, which really are the product of just giving into our natural physical impulses and drives. And then our flesh, those things begin to take over until we're doing terrible things. Paul, the apostle in Romans chapter seven, he says, look, uh, the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing them, the things I want to do. I find that I don't do them. At the end of the chapter, he says, Oh, miserable man, oh, wretched man that I am, who is able to deliver me from this body of sin and death, from the flesh? And then he goes on in Romans chapter 8 to talk about living by the Spirit, living with the help of the Holy Spirit who has come to indwell us. 
And so that's what we're talking about when we mention the flesh. When the mob came to arrest Jesus, Peter reacted in a fleshly way. He struck out with his sword to cut off the ear of one of the enemies. Jesus was a model of walking in the spirit. He reached out and healed the man's wound and then went off with his arresters to be crucified. Until we go to be with the Lord, we are going to struggle against the flesh to bring it under the control of the Holy Spirit. When we give in to our flesh, we've slackened our pace in our walk or run or climb, and we have fallen much farther behind, way far behind. Fatigue and the flesh set us up for following Jesus at a distance. We don't even recognize that we've fallen behind. Peter didn't. But you see how he lost sight of the Lord as the story is told. And so in verse 55, let's look at his denials. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man also was with him. But he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you also are of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're saying. Now, the situation was this. Peter, or Jesus had been brought to the house of the high priest. Houses, it was kind of a, a palace, and it would have surrounded a courtyard in the center, an open courtyard. It would be like if we were out here in the courtyard of the church, sitting around a, a fire late at night in a, on a cool evening here, and you could see into the fellowship hall. The windows were open or the shades were up. And so Peter was sitting outside, but he could see where they were dealing with Jesus. And so that's, that's the scene. Peter had fallen behind because of the fatigue of prayerlessness. He had fallen further behind because he reacted in his flesh. His denials around the fire were the result of his falling behind. He was still following Jesus. He was actually very close in proximity physically to where the Lord was being interrogated. But spiritually, he had fallen behind and lost sight of the Lord. Sitting by the fire, surrounded by danger and unbelievers, Peter represents all of us as we daily venture out into a hostile world. We love the Lord and we want to be effective in our witness for him. But we can lose sight of him if we're following from a spiritual distance. Now, we're going to see a few of the ways Peter represents us in the comments made about him as he sat by the fire. Normally, we concentrate on Peter's denials. They're pretty straightforward. I mean, he just he denies the Lord. He does it three times. What's interesting to me are the comments made about him because they have a point of contact with my life. The first comment was that Peter was with Jesus. If you are a Christian, it doesn't take people long to see that you have been with Jesus. You get saved. And what happens? God, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And there's a sense in which from that point forward as a Christian, you are with Jesus or Jesus is with you. And as you then encounter other people that know you, family and friends and co-workers and the like, there's a sense, almost without you saying anything, that someone is with you. 
There's a there's a presence of God in your life as he radically changes you from within. And so Peter denying that. But the crowd saw that he says, you know, you were with Jesus. Now, the next comment directed towards Peter was that he was of them. He had hung out with the other followers of Jesus. When you get saved, you want to be around other believers. It's a very natural progression. The Lord comes into your life and then you're excited to be around other people who share this new dimension of living with you, who share this life in Jesus Christ. You start attending a fellowship, either a Bible study or a church, and then you get involved serving in it and people begin to see you are one of them. You're the old of them, contra, you know, it's always them. Who are they? You know, that kind of thing. But you go to work, you go to school, and, and it's like, you know, you're not, you're not quite of us anymore. You're of them. There's this group of people that you're a part of, and they recognize that. And then they busted Peter because of the way he talked. In his case, it was his Galilean dialect. Luke doesn't bring it out, but in the other Gospels, it says they knew he was from Galilee because they had a unique way of talking. In your case... Your language is affected as you are with the Lord and of his people. First of all, many of you quit cursing when you came to know the Lord. I had a guy one time, he called me, he'd been a Christian for just a couple of days, and he called me and he says, guess what I didn't do today? I go, what? He goes, I didn't curse today. I didn't cuss. I didn't take the Lord's name in vain. I didn't use this uh, language that I'm used to. And he was all excited about it because the Holy Spirit was changing him from within. I've had people call and tell me that they barely know how to talk anymore. Some of you were like this and some of you know people like this. 90% of their vocabulary is, a cuss, is cuss words of some kind. It's the name of Jesus and all these other swear words that they know. And then they get saved and there's, the Holy Spirit is starting to clean up their language from within. And, and it's like they don't know how to talk anymore. They talk in a broken English. They have no verbs. <laughs> Me, eat. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And it's weird because you're just, you know, you're just changed from within. And then second, you begin to use a vocabulary unique to the Bible and Christians. I always try to be sensitive to this, but it's almost impossible. You're just, you know, you become a Christian, you start using the word fellowship. I mean, I never used the word fellowship in my whole life until I became a Christian. And then there's the unique Christian words, sanctification, justification, glorification. You start using phrases like in the flesh. And people you're talking to are like, what are you talking about? Sounds like a disease. And, and, and if we're not careful, no one knows what we're saying. And so, so you, you quit cursing and you start using Christianese. You, that wasn't intended to be funny, by the way. So, haha. It's just, that's a bonus. You know, I, half the time you won't laugh. And then when you do laugh at something that's not intended to be funny, I just take it in for a minute. So. Now, you and I every day are sitting by some fire out in the world. It might be your dinner table at home. If there are people there who aren't believers, it could be the water cooler, the proverbial water cooler at work, or it could be your classroom at school. We want to tell others about the Lord, not deny him in any way. None of us gets up in the morning and says, man, I hope that I can deny Jesus today. I mean, we don't do that. We, we, we get up in the morning fresh and excited thinking, Lord, give me 
an opportunity to share you with someone else. But if we sit around that fire fatigued because we are prayerless, if we sit there because we're being dominated by some area of our flesh, a denial of Jesus is communicated through our lives. We don't even have to say anything. It may not be as radical as the open denials of Peter, but it is a denial of God's presence and power in our life. We need to pray to remain in God's presence. You won't have spiritual fatigue if you pray and you'll keep up the pace. And we need to yield to the Holy Spirit to experience God's power. You won't give in to the flesh and you'll keep up the pace. Now, Jesus wants to strengthen you to follow him. These verses are warnings if you have not fallen behind to just get stay on pace. Say, oh, you know, Lord, I might be falling a little bit behind, uh, but I, I just thank you, Lord, for encouraging me to continue in prayer and to review and examine myself to make sure that I'm not being dominated by some area of the flesh. However, there are times when we have been following at a distance and at those times we should look straightway at Jesus. That's the remaining verses that we have, verses 60 through 62. We stop before the end of verse 60. The rest of the verse reads, immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And then you read, verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Three things stand out for us to consider. First, Peter remembered the word of the Lord. Now, think of the situation for a minute. Just at the exact moment the Lord was in place to make eye contact with Peter, a particular rooster had been appointed by God to come and crow. I mean, think of the timing. Think of the cosmic eternal timing of the detail of it. You know, no one knew how long Jesus was going to be there from a human point of view. Uh, and, and, and just at the moment he could make eye contact again with Peter. And as the words were still coming out of Peter's mouth, ah, 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 ah. I didn't do that first service cause I, I didn't think they could handle it. But <laughs> if the Lord could fulfill his prediction of a crowing rooster at a, a divinely appointed moment in time, then he could and he would certainly fulfill the promise he had also given as a word to Peter. You saw it in verse 32. It says this, I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. What a beautiful thing the crowing of that rooster was. Because uh, sure, it was a it was busting Peter. I mean, it was like, Peter, you remember, you know, the rooster's going to crow and you're going to realize that you denied me. But it was more than that. It was a confirmation of the promise of God. Peter, I, I, you're going to re return to me and I'm going to strengthen you. When you hear that rooster crow, you're going to know that I saw this fall. That you've fallen, but you can get up and I'm going to strengthen you and bless you. And what a, what a precious thing that is. God is always ready to pick us up. He's always ready to bring us from our fall back into a stand before him where he cleans us up and cleans us off and puts us back into work. Now, if you've been following Jesus from a distance, he will also somehow remind you of his word. Some rooster will crow in your life. It could be from the pulpit on a Sunday morning. It could be from your radio as you're listening to the radio. It could be from one of your friends. 
and, and, you know, here you are a Christian, you're following the Lord, but you've fallen back. You're fatigued from prayerlessness. You're, you're in the flesh. You're at a place where you, you, whether openly or just privately, you're denying the Lord. You're, you know, no one really even knows you're a Christian. I remember one time I was having lunch with a, a group of Christians. It was actually like a prayer thing that we were doing. We went to this one restaurant and the waitress came over and she, she knew one of the guys. And she finally said, well, what are you guys doing? And, and, uh, and, and you know, he said, well, we're here, you know, this is my pastor and we're and, you know, doing this kind of prayer thing and stuff. And she, I'll never forget this. She goes, you're a Christian? <laughs> oh, oh, man. Cut. Sometimes we're in that place in our life. We, we don't openly deny the Lord. We think, Lord, I don't have time really to tell people about you right now. I'm, I'm late for work. This is happening. That's happening. Or whatever. I mean, there's a million different reasons. And the Lord will bust us. He'll, he'll, he'll bring some word on a Sunday morning or in our car as we're listening to the radio or something will happen. You'll see a billboard, a bumper sticker. It could be anything. Think how weird it is that, you know, all of this hinges on a rooster. And the Lord, yet in subtle but powerful ways, is always reminding us of his word. Then there were the looks, not just the look of Jesus. We'll talk about that in a moment. There was the look of Peter as well. Don't ever forget that the look of Jesus, however wonderful, would have been no good if at the moment Peter would not have been looking his way. I think it says a lot about Peter that when the rooster crowed, he looked immediately to Jesus Christ. I don't think I can imagine any moment more shameful than that in the life of the Apostle Peter. Lord, I'll follow you. I'll go to prison with you, whatever it takes. The Lord tells him, you're going to deny me three times. The rooster's going to crow. And then there he is denying the Lord three times, sitting by the fire. I, I think I might have just hung my head in shame. I think I would have ran out. I don't know that I would have wanted to look into the face of Jesus. But Peter did. That's the first place he looked. He knew what he would see there. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But he looked. Anytime you have fallen behind, look straightway at Jesus. And this is where a lot of people continue to stumble. Because they, they want to get their life together first. They, they want to go out and do something. They want to go to other people first. They want to go to a program. They want to, uh, you know, go through some kind of a ritual religion. And the Lord says, just why don't you just look at me? Uh, hopefully all of that would lead you to me anyway, but you don't need to be led to me anymore. You can come directly to me. And so whenever you and I have found ourselves in a place like that where we've fallen far behind, whether through neglect or open sin, the first look is towards the Lord because he's looking at us. And he was looking at Peter. Even as Jesus was being abused and taken off to more illegal trials and beatings, his eyes were upon his wayward disciple to restore him. I mean, there's got to be on some human level, Jesus is thinking, Peter, you're going to deny me after all we've been through. I mean, sure, Jesus is God, but he's also a man. And, and you and I, we don't like to be denied. We don't like to be betrayed. We want people to stand with us and defend us and all of that. And yet Jesus, with all the compassion of the heart of God, says, well, Peter, here's what's going to happen. And not only are you going to fail me in that way, 
but I'm going to restore you from it. I've seen it and I've dealt with it. And I've prayed for you and you're going to be restored. It's a beautiful thing, this look of Jesus Christ. His eyes were full of grace and mercy and compassion and the like because of what he had promised Peter. His look matched his heart. Now, I don't want to get mystical or anything, but I think a lot of people have a different idea of what it's like to look into the face of of Jesus. I've heard messages, I've heard people talk about what it's going to be like at the reward seat of Jesus Christ. When you're just, you know, you and the Lord and he's like looking at you. And I've heard mess- I heard a message one time by a guy I really respect about how, you know, some of us who are not as faithful as others, the faithful Christians, they're going to be sitting, you know, being, uh, you know, having a feast with the Lord in eternity. And us unfaithful Christians, we're going to be serving them weeping because, you know, we, we wish we had volunteered for the nursery. Or whatever it is that the church needed that week in terms of volunteers. But just on a real level, I think a lot of people are afraid to look into the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, maybe you've never seen a look like that. Maybe, and, and you know, we're, I don't know, you know, parents do this. You know, you have looks when you look at your children. They recognize those. They run. And, and so it's hard for us to, to imagine looking into the face of the thrice holy God, creator of the universe, knowing our sin, knowing the shame of denying and, and all of the things that we... It's hard to think that you would look into that face and find immediately grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion. But you know, it's not just Peter that the Lord knew was going to fall and fail. The Lord knows every one of our failures. He just doesn't tell us about them in advance because he's not we don't need to be in the Bible like Peter was. But I mean, the Lord could come to you every day and say, hey, hey, Gene, hey, listen, uh, I I know what you just said. We just had a time of prayer. That was kind of cool. But uh, a little bit later today, you're going to really blow it with your wife. Not me, Lord. I'm going to love her like you love the church. Okay, sure. Just hang on to that thought. But when you blow it with her. Remember that I'm here and I'll get you back on track. I mean, and, and you know, it, it just that could happen dozens of times in each of our life every day. So we need to become familiar with the fact that the face of Jesus is the most beautiful thing that you could ever see. And he and you just just look at him. Don't be afraid of him. Peter went out and wept. His weeping shows his repentance. Now, sure, you can cry from remorse and not really repent. But we know the end of this story and we know that this was true repentance. Peter was no longer in the same physical proximity with Jesus, but he was now closer to the Lord spiritually. He had closed the distance created by the fatigue of prayerlessness and by his own flesh. Peter was back walking and running and climbing with the Lord. In fact, the very next time you see Peter's name mentioned in the Gospel of Luke, he's running. He was running to the empty tomb because he had just been told that the Lord's body wasn't there and that there was a suspicion of a resurrection. And just the symbolism of it, he's running to the Lord. He wants to be where the Lord is. Now, if you're a Christian, chances are when you got saved, someone handed you a pamphlet explaining how you were to grow in your new spiritual life. There are usually about five things that you're encouraged to do for the rest of your life. You're encouraged to talk to God through prayer. 
to yield to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You're encouraged to fellowship with other believers, to share Jesus with unbelievers, and to read and study God's word. It's interesting, you can see seeds of this in Peter. Peter ought to have prayed, but he didn't. His denials began with prayerlessness. Then at the fire, they said Peter had been with the Lord. He denied it, but it reminds you that you are with someone in this life as you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There at the fire, they said Peter was of them who followed Jesus. He denied it, but it's a reminder that you're to be in fellowship with other believers. At the fire, they said Peter talked like a follower of Jesus. He denied it, but it's a reminder that we're to talk as a follower of Jesus by sharing him with unbelievers. And Peter had forgotten God's word to him. It's a reminder for us to stay grounded in God's word. And so there in Peter, as you think, well, you know, Peter, why did he deny Christ or how did he deny Christ or how can I avoid doing that? Another look at it would be to say, just build your Christian life on the simple principles upon which it was started. You know, a lot of times we make things way more complicated than they need to be. And, and this, is, this is the Christian life. It, it doesn't change from the time you get saved until the time you're with the Lord. If you want to know, how do, I, how do I go about it? How do I walk with the Lord? How do I run the race? How do I climb the summit? It's always the same. Spend time with the Lord in prayer. Yield to the Spirit rather than to the flesh. Get involved with other believers. Share with unbelievers. And read God's Word. And sometimes we just need to be refreshed in all that. I mean, there are times in my own life I think, oh, when's the last time I really told anybody about Jesus other than on a Sunday morning? When's the last time I studied God's word other than for a Bible study? And, and it's a refreshing thing. It's a freeing thing. And, I, and, and it's a simple thing. And we always want to do something difficult for the Lord. We want to do that which is most difficult. Because we want to prove ourselves. And the Lord says, really, the whole thing is very simple. Just stay where you started and you'll find yourself walking with me all the way to the summit. There are probably unbelievers here. Sure, many times the Christians you know are blowing it. Don't look at them. Look at Jesus. His arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, his six illegal trials, his several beatings, then his crucifixion. All of it was for you. You too can look full in his wonderful face as we sometimes sing. And when you do, you're going to find the forgiveness of your sins. You know, you may not be looking to Jesus. You may think it's all a bunch of hokum, whatever that is. <laughs> That's a word, you know, but I hope it's not a nasty word. But uh, I think it's something Chuck Smith says. And I want to be like Chuck. I mean, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, this whole Christian thing, I know Christians. My neighbor's a Christian. My boss is a Christian. The person sitting next to me says they're a Christian. My husband thinks he's a Christian. Man, if, if, if this is what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. Well, quit looking at that person because that person is no better than the Apostle Peter, the chief of the apostles. And yet he was subject to this. Now, obviously, before he had the Holy Spirit indwelling him, and so we cut him more slack. But Christians fall and they fail. But we're not talking about Christians now. We're talking about Christ. We're talking about you. And the fact that the Lord is looking upon you. Will you look to him? 
And when you look to him, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find love and grace and compassion and mercy and forgiveness like you've never known before from any other source because he is the source of it. You're going to find everything to sustain you, everything to bless you, everything to get you to heaven in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things this morning. We appreciate them. Peter is such a fascinating person, a wonderful character in your Bible, Lord. Can't wait to meet him. And Lord, it's remarkable, the, not, not just the recovery he made from this incredible fall. It's incredible that he looked at you at all that night. It tells us so much. His, his willingness, his desire, his drive to look into your face right into the face of the person he had denied, right into the face of the person he had betrayed, longing for and looking for understanding and and forgiveness. And Lord, it's even more wonderful that he found that. There you were, Lord, involved, as it were, in your own trials. You'd just been sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. You're on your way to be beaten and mocked and crucified. But you took the time to look upon Peter and to communicate to him that you loved him still and that everything that you had promised him was going to come to pass, that it was all going to be all right. And the rooster crowing, sure, it reminded him, Lord, of the prediction, but it was also the dawning of a new day in Peter's heart and life, a time when he had finally come to the end of himself and known the depths of his own denials and sin and realize the ultimate dependency that he had on you and the sufficiency of looking to you. And we thank you for all of these things and more. Lord, all of us who are Christians here, we we can totally relate to what happened to Peter. In less obvious, more subtle ways, we've done this. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, look straightway into your face this morning. Lord, I do want to pray for any that are here that are not believers this morning or those that are backslidden, severely backslidden and need to come back to you. Lord, this is a time when your spirit has been working in their heart and on their lives. And we want to give them an opportunity to get right with you, to come back to you. Maybe they need to go out and weep bitterly the way Peter did, but first they need to look to you, and and so we want to give them that opportunity. And so this morning while we continue in prayer with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and as we sing this final chorus, uh, I am going to ask in just a moment if there's anyone here, maybe you're not a believer or maybe you're a a backslidden believer and and you want to look at Jesus, you want to get right with the Lord, you're, you're turning to Him this morning. It would be a blessing for us to be able to acknowledge that and to pray with you and just be excited with you and for you. And so we're going to sing a little bit and I'm going to ask you to just raise your hand so that we can acknowledge that you're here and that you want this kind of a relationship with the Lord, one that is that is close and growing. And, and, and so let's sing. Christians continue to pray. Examine your own heart and life, but also pray for those that might be here that really need to come to Jesus need to get to know the Lord in a fresh and exciting way again. Close that gap. Not fall behind. And, and, and be in close proximity spiritually. So let's sing and pray and just see what the Lord wants to do in this closing moment.
moments in each of our lives, spiritual moments, times when the Lord really wants to do a work in our lives. And, and I would pray that this would be that kind of a moment for some of you that are here this morning, that time when you would really surrender your heart to the Lord. Uh, and, and, you know, not that we're never going to fail him, not that we're never going to fall, but, but that we become followers of Jesus Christ and, and that he can make whatever necessary corrections are are there so that we can continue on this fantastic journey towards heaven. And so we're going to just give you that chance in just a moment. Just just seek the Lord. Reach out to Him if He's calling to you this morning. Know that He'll look upon you with the same love and forgiveness that He had for Peter. If you're here this morning and you want to reach out to the Lord, you want to, in a sense, look at the Lord and you, you realize that you've fallen short, just raise your hand right now so that we can pray for you. Uh, lift your hand up. Maybe you've been backslidden. God bless you in the front. Anyone else? God bless you. You're here this morning and you just want to have that point of contact with the Lord. You want to be able to look back, as it were, and say, you know, on a particular Sunday, I understood the rooster crowed for me. And I looked into the face of God and I received forgiveness. God bless you. Anybody else, you're here this morning. You're not a Christian by any stretch of the imagination. You've been trying maybe even to live a good life or, or get your life right. But uh, now you realize that the only way to do that is to just lift your heart to the Lord. Anybody else, raise your hand so that we can pray for you. Maybe you're a Christian this morning and, and in some small or large sense, you feel like you've fallen behind. There's just something going on in your life that isn't right, hasn't been right. And the Holy Spirit, He just kind of shined a light on it this morning. God bless you. Anybody else? You just raise your hand if you want to get right with the Lord. God bless you. God bless you guys over there. Anyone else? It's it, it just God bless you in the balcony. There's it's just a moment for you and you alone to get right with God and, and just to know that you... You did something about it. You reached out to the Lord. Anyone else as we're closing this morning? Praise the Lord. God bless you in the back. Now, Father, we thank you for the work of your spirit and the way that, that you have touched the lives of several individuals here this morning. Lord, I pray for those that aren't believers, that they would come into your kingdom, Lord, that they would confess their sins where they sit right now and just cry out to you and ask you to save them. And, Lord, for many who are believers but who have found some distance in their walk with you. 
Lord, that they would uh, recognize that they have been restored, that they've been put back in that place of following you and serving you. And that they would do so with humility like Peter, Lord, after he was restored. That they would find a new power, a new strength as the Holy Spirit falls upon them. We pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Let's stand together. Listen, if you raise your hand this morning, especially if you raise your hand because you're not a Christian and you want to meet the Lord, you want to know Him as your Savior, some of our people will be down here in the front. Come forward and pray with them this morning. They'll lead you in a sinner's prayer. They'll talk to you about what it means to be set free from your sin, to be forgiven your past, and to start the Christian walk. They'll give you a little pamphlet that goes over those four or five things that we talked about this morning. If you're here and you're a Christian and you just want to pray with somebody, whether you raised your hand or not, and you want to have a point of contact where you ask the Lord to intervene for yourself or some friend of yours or some situation you're going through, they would love to pray for you as well. Wait, be patient, uh, and and just be prayed for if that's what's on your heart right now. Uh, The Lord knows. This week, just a little bookkeeping note, uh, Wednesday morning the men will be meeting for our weekly fellowship, but we will not be having our Wednesday night Bible study, the midweek fellowship. Traditionally and typically the night before Thanksgiving uh, is a night that people uh, stay home and cook and go places and do things. And so out of courtesy, we postpone our Wednesday night fellowship so that you can enjoy Thanksgiving. And it's be my prayer that if the Lord doesn't come for us today or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday uh, in the rapture of the church, that you would have an enjoyable Thanksgiving that whether it's a ham or a turkey or spaghetti or whatever it is that's your traditional Thanksgiving feast, uh, that you'd enjoy that and just about the time your stuff that the Lord would come for us in the rapture of the church. But if not, just have a great time with family. Uh, many of you, that's kind of a, it's kind of tough because, you know, your, your dinner table is going to be the fire that we talked about this morning. And I pray that you would be strengthened and encouraged to share the Lord. Uh, in some way, small or large, that, that you would see yourself sitting around that fire and that as they challenge you or talk with you or open the door, that you would speak for Jesus Christ and just let people know what's going on in your life, how much you really love the Lord, because you do love Him. See, that's the thing. Peter loved the Lord. You love the Lord. Spend some time in prayer this week. Get out of your flesh and into the Spirit and let the Lord use you this week. In Jesus' name, amen. May God bless you.